You are listening to Kubernetes Bytes, a podcast bringing you the latest from the world of cloud-native data management. My name is Ryan Walner, and I'm joined by Bobin Shaw, coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. We'll be sharing our thoughts on recent cloud-native news and talking to industry experts about their experiences and challenges managing the wealth of data in today's cloud-native ecosystem. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back, and this week we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney, make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusion supply. See store or jcp.com for details. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. We're coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. Today is November 10th, 2021. I hope everyone is doing well and staying safe. Let's dive into it. Bhavan, how have you been? What have you been up to? I've been great. I think I gained a couple of pounds over the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> so, so some background, like it was uh, Diwali, the Indian festival, and I had a few friends come over and like we had some great Indian food. We we played a lot of board games uh, and it, it was a fun weekend. So I'm, I'm definitely like mo- motivated now to go for a run, uh, maybe after we are done recording this. Nice, nice. Any, um, what, you know, something I learned about you recently was your talent in uh, Bollywood songs. Any, <laughs> any of that over the week? <laughs> no, not okay. really. Like, uh, we played a couple of interesting board games. One was called Deception, uh, where you have to basically uh, solve a murder together and you get a role as like a ah. police investigator or a, a CSI. That was fun. And then another one was Secret Hitler, uh, where you are either a liberal or a fascist or even a Hitler. And we basically have to make sure your side wins. So those were fun games. Those sound, I'm into like Uno when I play (laughs) card games. (laughs) Those those sound really fun. I I once played a board game called like Pandemic or something Uh along those lines. That was pretty fun. But sometimes I'm like, board games are about not using my brain so much. But uh, it sounds like you'd really like escape rooms and stuff. Maybe we should do one together soon. (laughs) How about you? What Uh, are you doing up to? You know, I I was uh, most of the weekend I was studying for something I was doing in my personal life, um, but also trying to enjoy downtime. We had friends over for dinner. Um, uh, a friend of ours and their daughter and son came over for dinner. And they haven't actually been over in our house for about two years because wow. um, of COVID. So mm-hmm. it was it was so nice to just welcome them in our house and do dinner, uh, but also just enjoying the downtime because I am having. Uh, a lot of family up this weekend. <laughs> I think a total of four dogs, five adults, and seven kids. And our house cannot support that. So they're just going to be everywhere. That's uh, <laughs> but I am also looking forward to that. Um, you know, it's a good feeling to have your family around. So nice. Uh, you know, before we dive into the news, um, we are going to have Michael Cade on the show. For you, uh, for those of you who are not familiar uh, with Michael Kate is he is a community first technologist uh, and he works for Kasten by Veeam. Uh, you may know Kasten uh, if, if you didn't know they were acquired by Veeam uh, last year 
And uh, Michael is based in the UK, and he's uh, been in the industry for over 16 years uh, with experience with a key focus on technologies in the cloud native automation and data management space. So we're really excited to have Michael on and talk uh, data protection and disaster recovery with him in a short moment. Um, but before we get into that, let's talk about what's going on in the cloud native storage space. Bob, and why don't you kick it off? Yeah, uh, last week was uh, Microsoft Ignite. Uh, again, it was a virtual event, but they did have some good announcements, a couple of good keynotes and a couple of good sessions that I attended. Uh, one of the things that, or two of the things that I wanted to talk about on this episode was, uh, first one was Azure Container Apps. So it's basically a serverless application-centric uh, hosting service. So you don't worry about the underlying infrastructure or virtual machines or any other like NAT gateways or VPCs. Uh, you just provide your container images and they'll run it for you uh, on AKS. So under the covers, it is Kubernetes uh, and they use the Kubernetes event-driven auto-scaling or KEDA framework and the dapper runtime uh, and Envoy. Uh, everything is basically integrated into this hosting service. So mm -hmm. you just provide your containers, they'll run it for you, they'll scale it for you based on triggers. So like they can be HTTP requests or events uh, or even simple CPU and memory utilization on the containers or pods that are running. And then the, the pricing model is also simple enough. So like per million requests, you are charged basically 40 cents. Uh, and then there's some costs for CPU and memory. But that's a cool way to run containers in Azure uh, You don't where you don't have to worry about infrastructure. So that was a cool announcement. Nice. And then uh, second thing, uh, again, this has been in preview for quite some time from Microsoft now. Uh, it's Azure Arc Enabled Data Services. Now uh, they made the direct connected mode generally available. What does direct connected mean? It's just that uh, the Kubernetes clusters that you are running these data services on also need to be Azure Arc for Kubernetes clusters. So they, they need that uh, Azure Arc controller or data controller running on those clusters. So they can connect back to your Azure portal. You can define a custom location. And then uh, once once your cluster is connected, you can basically deploy Postgres and, and uh, SQL or, or MySQL uh, on those Arc enabled clusters and then uh, use them as a service. So that, that was pretty cool as well to see it finally go into GA. Yeah, the Arc enabled data services is a really cool piece of technology. Um, I haven't had my hands on it my, uh, myself, but I know um, I want to. So uh, definitely on the list of things to try out. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What about you? Did you find anything, any, anything cool this week? I did. You know, I really honed in on um, the first couple of things I wanted to talk about were uh, some great blogs um, around basic sort of one-on-one examples. And I know we talk about a lot of different topics on this uh, podcast, but uh, there's a couple different blogs out here. One is on loft.sh slash blog. Um, 
Kubernetes persistent volumes, examples, and best practices by Shingai. I'm sorry if I'm butchering that name, <laughs> uh, but I think uh, the author does a really good job of sort of laying out what are persistent volumes, what they look like, what are the different modes, um, what a class and reclaim policy is, what mount options are available, um, and, and sort of the life cycle of what a persistent volume goes through. Uh, as well as some of the states that I can get into, like released or failed. Um, and so uh, I know this this sort of fundamental learning um, is super important. And some of the best practices that he talks about um, is uh, is quite interesting, like always including PVCs in a container configuration when you have state, stuff like that. So there's a couple of different uh, links that I'll have on this these one-on-one topics. There's another one from squadcast.com, which does a pretty good uh, job as well. Uh, more on the visuals side there. Uh, they do a couple uh, good diagrams. Um, I think I saw a similar article from VWorks as well. Just talk, It was not around like uh, persistent volume, but just Kubernetes 101 and what are the different Kubernetes objects. So uh, I think it's it's basically a cycle. Like every year we see 101 level content so that new people uh, in the ecosystem can basically onboard themselves and, and get up to speed. This is great. Yeah, it's it's fundamental to understanding some of these these bigger, more complex com- uh, use cases, right? Mm-hmm. And and um, and if if you don't have that knowledge and background, it really can get confusing fast. So I really like reading through that. Even as a refresher to myself, sometimes there's new stuff in the Kubernetes ecosystem which you know I don't always come up to speed on, and and reading and learning is the only way to do that. So um, uh, speaking of Arc. Uh, and data services, uh, there's a VentureBeat article that I'm putting in here on, uh, called The Rise of Kubernetes and the Impact on Enterprise Databases. This was just like, you know, just a juicy piece of fruit sitting out there for me. I thought the title was perfect uh, to, <laughs> for me in terms of clickbait to get in here. Um, you know, it does a really cool um, sort of uh, storytelling and background and history on sort of the advent of, you know, what enterprise databases were. Um, and when databases a service first came out, only the big players like Amazon could really uh, afford to create these kind of services. Mm-hmm. And then the smaller companies uh, of the individual uh, databases themselves sort of had to react, you know, Couchbase coming out, I think in 2017 with their sort of uh, database uh, as a service offering, and then quickly followed by uh, the MongoDBs and Redis and Elasticsearch and, and those. Um, and, and I think these are all becoming really uh, an interesting space because while database as a service from these individual players is one thing, you know, how do, how do these scale with your Kubernetes environment? Mm-hmm. Do you just attach to them? Can they run on your Kubernetes clusters as a service? You know, it's all quite a fast moving space. So um, it really hit the nail on the head, I think. Great article, um, I think, from a writer at Couchbase. So, yeah, good personally, stuff. I'm like ramping up on my database skills. So all of this 101 level content is great for, for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. The last time I've done a schema migration has been a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. And then the, the last one I'll talk about is... Uh, there was a database security best practices on Kubernetes from Crunchy Data, mm-hmm. also database specific, but uh, Postgres oriented. And it does a really good job laying out in a very succinct kind of short uh, way of saying like, don't run unprivileged, encrypt your data and um, you know manage your credentials mm-hmm. uh, and um, keep things up to date. You know, uh, th- these things are 
so fundamental, but at the same time, um, they had often know, people overlooked. do. Yeah, they're overlooked all the time. Uh, I mean, especially the unprivileged container one, and the, you know that can open up a lot of um, you know can of worms for you. Uh, anyway, we'll put that one in there. Lots of lots and lots of good information there, and really important. Uh, as as I see more and more uh, surveys coming out, security is 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 now sort of up there with the, the uh, storage and networking as we uh, as we know. But security keeps coming to the forefront this year. I think we've talked about it in previous podcasts oh, yeah. too. Like I also saw that uh, since we were talking about security, right? I saw Suze make an acquisition of a of a container security startup called New Vector. Uh, they, they basically provide like a, a container firewall that protects your container networks from like layer three through layer layer seven, I think. And then it displays yeah. all the traffic in real time and and helps you like capture packets, analyze packets, and secure secure your, your containers as well. So security, uh, yeah, it, it's it's on an upward trend. Absolutely, as it should be for you, listener. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I guess directed right back at ourselves too. Um, Cool. So I think that was really the news we wanted to cover today. Um, so I guess without further ado, let's get Michael on the podcast and talk about data protection and disaster recovery in the Kubernetes space. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Um, yeah, so Michael Cade. Uh, I'm a senior technologist at Caston by Veeam. I'm relatively new to this space, but I guess a lot of us are as well from a cloud native point of view. But from a technology point of view, I've been in the world of technology or in the industry for just over 16 years. Um, but my initial kind of starting point was around support, which probably where everyone begins their journey and then <laughs> it ventured into storage and virtualization. So around VMware, it was definitely around the the vSphere 3.5 days, so virtualization, vir virtual machines, and and the storage that that we they lived on was very much my bread and butter. And then more recently, probably this year, 2021, was really my focus area around Kubernetes, cloud native, data management from that from from around that space. Um, yeah, that's really been my my uh, well, in a nutshell, what I'm what I've been doing. Yeah, like personally, I've always attended like Michael's and Anthony Spiteri's sessions at VMworld, like when they were talking about data protection for virtual uh, for VMs, and those were always on my list of sessions to go to. So, uh, I, I like again, Michael, you're a great resource for the community. Thank you for all all you do. Cheers, Bavin. Okay, so like talking about community, uh, I know I've seen you in 2021 being a really active part or maybe one of the main cornerstones of the Cloud Native Data Management Day and the Cloud Native Data Management community. Can you tell us a bit more about what we are trying to do with the community and how can more pe more and more people get involved? Yeah, I think if we like just hit on that for a second as well around community in this space. Now, we've been involved in the community from a virtualization and storage point of view for the last 10 years. And I think 
there's this whole concept of DevRel and, and all of the other terms, evangelism and advocacy and all of the terms that have been used in the cloud native space when actually it's not a new thing. And bringing groups of people together, learning together, blog posts <laughs> for, around technology <laughs> have kind of been a, a, a thing for a while. So when I kind of got thrown in at the deep end around cloud native from a custom point of view, it was very much a, a goal of mine to understand a bit more around the people that we were that we were trying to to help from a community point of view, but also from me learning. I use exactly the same methods that I kind of I preach I preach the same um, values, right? If I can write something that helps just one person or create a demo video, etc., that helps one person, that we kind of live and breathe that same community, and a lot of us do in this in this world. So. Along, came, along comes my focus around cloud native and in, in particular around data management. So carrying on with that storage theme. Mm -hmm. So cloud native data management day was was already a, a thing back at the end of um, like 2020, really, with um, cloud native storage day. And that kind of didn't get the maybe the funding or the exposure that it needed to. And maybe it was a bit before its time as well. Like, Bavin and Ryan, you've both seen over the last year this mm -hmm. this whole requirement around data, state stateful workloads within Kubernetes mm -hmm. or within cloud native has been a, a it's like blown up it seems. Mm -hmm. and so it seems that our community has as well. So that community, cloud native um, data management days, kind of is a co-located event at KubeCon, mm -hmm. both EU and NA. So I inherited it in a way for EU. And when I say inherited it, I'm kind of the gatekeeper around the content, but it's not, I don't own, we don't own it. It's a community. <laughs> we just cool. try and make loads of noise around it. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then that continued to LA in the KubeCon North America, which was now an in-person. Unfortunately, I couldn't be out there because of, uh, because of restrictions between the UK and the, the US. But, we managed to do an in-person event half a day before the whole KubeCon kicked on. And we found that, okay, this community is massively growing. We also did a huge online presence as well, which both of you guys did some amazing content to, to help drive the messaging around data management. But I think, and, and along with that, there was probably around 15 hours plus the five hours of content for panel and discussions that we had in person in LA. So we probably had 20 hours worth of content that we that we delivered from North America. And that was really around, my key focus there was, we don't want vendor pitches, like there's plenty of them. You can mm -hmm. go to everyone's YouTube channel and get those vendor pitches if you, if you so wish. But let's talk about real life issues, solutions to those issues, but also like just problems or just cool stuff that mm -hmm. I know that like we're all looking into like whether it's community technical and maybe a bit of industry as well because you can like we're all at, we're all at vendors we can all talk about our product in a solution manner without making it a sales pitch and i think that's a that's a talent to to the people that that do that but i don't want to yep. go and get told <laughs> what the what the product's doing but yeah that's pretty much what cloud native data management day is all around it's about education it's around coming together and talking about common common issues plans and solutions to that.
Nice. And like, as, as you already hinted, like we, Ryan and I have participated in these and they are, they are always fun to do. Uh, again, keeping the vendor stuff out of it, just talking about challenges. Uh, and yeah. like, that's a perfect segue for my next question, like participating in the community, talking to customers with your new focus on Kubernetes. What are the challenges that you see when, uh, when customers are trying to manage data on Kubernetes or stateful app on Kubernetes? Can you list some of those? So I think the first and foremost, again, because this has just erupted over the last, let's say, 12 months, probably even longer, but it's like the, the, the tail has definitely got, got a little bit thicker over the last 12 months, is people are having to learn a lot of different moving parts when it comes to Kubernetes or when it comes to cloud-native platforms. And I think that's the, the daunting side of that. And then they get the application that potentially has some data, and then they're the last thought as it always is around data management is well how do we protect this and how do we move that data from here there and everywhere and i'm sure you're you both are having the, a similar conversation <laughs> sure. but, but ultimately like say coming from a storage background is it looks very similar so I, what i've been doing is trying to tell the story because i speak to a lot of vSphere admins and a lot of backup traditional backup admins as well mm-hmm. so i've been trying to te- teach not teach um trying to allude to Mm-hmm. A lot of similarities between what we see from a vSphere point of view into Kubernetes. So things like persistent volume claims looking very similar to a LUN that we present to VMware and and how that looks, because that's ultimately where our data is being stored. Now, there's abstraction and there's differences between that, but kind of the challenges is just the learning and the understanding of what that looks like, because the applications, uh, well, another thing that I've been saying is that Data management is the same, but it's a little bit different when it comes to Kubernetes because mm-hmm. from a Kubernetes point of view, we're focused more on the application. We're focused more on the on the many different moving parts that we have within a, a Kubernetes cluster, mm-hmm. our application, our namespace. And it's all well and good. We can probably take a swipe of that that persistent volume claim and we could probably recover it somewhere and be able to get you at least visibility of that data using traditional infrastructure backup tools for example but the real key is well how do we capture all of that and how do we do it in a simplified way so that i don't need to go and spend five days on another boot camp to learn data management in kubernetes (laughs) like i do like kubernetes networking or kubernetes storage itself like there's a lot of different moving parts and a lot of daunting learning aspects to when it comes to kubernetes and and the wider platform so i think it's about the simplification of data management yes it needs to be done and i think that's one of the aspects of cloud native data management days is raising awareness of it quite early on in in the in the journey rather than allowing it to be bottom of the list when it comes to people's priorities and it and and i think another thing that i tried to do with the content as well was around or let's include security let's include Mm -hmm. observability in there as well Mm -hmm. those those day two challenges that at least for me in the virtualization world that I was in, they were always bottom of the list. Like we were always talking to them customers after the fact. They weren't ever mm-hmm. top of mind. And I think getting getting ahead of it and educating the community with all of these weird and wonderful solutions and problems is a is a big thing. So mm-hmm. hopefully that answers. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I think it does, right? And I and I like the fact that it's not that the challenge is always just a technical challenge, right? It's it's an organizational, it's a learning, it's a it's a how do we sort of adopt these things and and think about them correctly, right? To your point, 
you know, it wasn't long ago where no one was really even thinking about, you know, storage on Kubernetes. And so that's evolved very quickly with, you know, all those communities such as uh, Cloud Native Data Management Day or Data on Kubernetes. So this is all really exciting. Or even the formation of the Data Protection Working Group, right, which is even more recent. Um, and it reminds me a lot of, <clears throat> to your point around challenges and it being sort of the, the way to think about it is slightly different from when you look at it at a Kubernetes level, right? I, I don't know about you, but I was involved in an OpenStack um, uh, communities <laughs> as well, which is, there's a lot of parallels, but at the same time, right, uh, you know, the challenges around orchestrating everything and how things were put together and all the different projects in OpenStack feels familiar, but then things like data protection pretty much worked the same, right? <laughs> to the, to the, the some degree when you were thinking about how applications ran on OpenStack, but but with Kubernetes, right? We're talking about a whole different level. Um, so that's, that's something I definitely want to ask you is, you know, with your experience working with, you know, vSphere admins and in your background with VMs, you know, how really has the data protection and disaster recovery sort of solutions, how have they changed and how should we think about them when we're, when we're trying to conceptualize how we did it for VMs and, and how we have to do it for containers? Yeah, I think, I think this probably goes back to a bit of a history lesson as well, right? <laughs> if we look at the physical, physical servers, which are still very much viable out there, um, people are still running physical servers within their data centers. And to protect those, we have to push an agent to them. We're depending on, regardless of what operating system it is, we have to push an agent. Then along came virtualization, and I would say like early two thousands. Obviously, there are times someone could always pull me up for virtualization was around in the seventies and all of that good stuff. But let's talk about the the vSphere kind of bubble that that happened, and along came virtualization, and obviously that consolidates virtual machines into into one server you can have multiple servers on one physical system and we just and i'm talking broader rather than just a, a veeam or a casting thing here mm -hmm. is that mm -hmm. we we literally just put our agents onto those virtual machines wrongly rightly that's what happened and then along came veeam to to and and many others as well but they hooked into the vSphere api at the virtualization the hypervisor layer to be yeah. able to take that that application or that consistent copy of that virtual machine. So it removed that overhead of having to look after those agents. Mm -hmm. So now we were focused on the virtual machine versus looking at the whole physical system. So, and, and we know from a virtual machine point of view that obviously we'd have a virtual machine, maybe to begin with, we'd have an app per virtual machine. And then we had VM sprawl and we'd have a hundreds and thousands of vms that nobody knew what was going on and yeah who remembers those those <laughs> but um but then along came containers and then con and container orchestration with with kubernetes and now we're abstracting another layer out of out of our mm -hmm. our infrastructure out of our platform and i've missed out quite a big bit of chunk of history there around cloud-based iaz paas SaaS, mm -hmm. etc but they all evolved and they all have different ways of being able to protect. You can't take the same, you can't take the same tool in or the same approach to be able to protect those workloads. And when we get to containers and Kubernetes is that you probably can't take that traditional or, or the, the physical agent process because you'd only capture some of the, some of the data. And that's not really the, the pain point either is being able to protect 
some of the data or the most important part of the data is great. Anyway, I'll uh, be careful what I say here, but the table stakes are being able to move data from A to B. That's backup, right? That's mm-hmm. simply what it is. Yes, we can all put some dedupe and some compression and some encryption and all of that good stuff, and that's great. But really, where where it fundamentally gets interesting for each of those platforms that, by the way, haven't gone away and they won't either. They're just giving us choices as to where we store our workloads. Is how do we recover that? And that's going back to the physical agent or the virtualization, the hypervisor approach where we're hooking into the APIs there, that's not going to give us the capability of being able to restore everything fully, especially mm-hmm. in the Kubernetes world where we're focused on that application and all of those weird and wonderful moving parts within there, things like <laughs> not only the pods, but persistent volume claims, but also secrets, config maps, mm-hmm. the thing that makes up the, the application. I know it's like a complicated distributed application that your backup solution should understand and be, like be able to protect. Uh, and I, I think like goes to your point, right? Uh, even though we have modernized things like coming up with RTO and RPO uh, requirements that match your business SLAs, those things still apply. Like you still need to make sure that uh, if you decide on an RTO with your end user or your developers, you need to bring that application back online and having a solution that understands how the application is built and deployed definitely helps you to reduce that and make sure make sure that your downtime is reduced by as much as possible and your application is back online quickly. Yeah, exactly. Those those key three fundamentals that we, we had when we were playing with, I shouldn't say playing, when we were with <laughs> physical, <laughs> virtual, cloud, and now Kubernetes and containers is it hasn't hasn't changed backup and recovery is still needed from a data mm-hmm. management point of view um disaster recovery depending on obviously what you're trying to achieve but i would say that if you've if you've containerized and then orchestrated your your workloads in kubernetes wherever that may be um i would say that you've like it's in a position where it's potentially volatile to at least some failure scenarios and what you have to look at is well could could that could that situation or could that infrastructure or could that service that I'm running my mission critical applications on withstand XYZ failure scenario? And if so, great. But if not, then I need to look at disaster recovery. And what does that look like? Like is it just East Coast to West Coast in the US as a mm-hmm. as a simple uh, argument to that? Exactly the same questions that you ask from a virtualization, a cloud based point of view. It doesn't change that. It's just a little bit different when it comes to how do we approach that within Kubernetes. And then the yeah. final one is around app application mobility in that Kubernetes brings us a whole heap of new, I guess, um, enhancements and advancements <laughs> in that Kubernetes looks and feels the same regardless of where it lives. Yep, I think that's kind of interesting. And I think VMware tried to do something like that and maybe they're trying to do that again with Tanzu. But ultimately... Kubernetes, I can take a Kubernetes, you, I could be running Minikube here locally, mm-hmm. and I can give you my application, and I can go and run that in GKE, or you can run that mm-hmm. in Azure, in AKS. So you can run it on your, your Minikube, or your K3D, or K3S. And there's, that's a fundamental shift in, in regards to how we're presenting that data. And I think that's kind of a, an interesting point, is that we need to be able to protect that data, regardless of where it is as well. 
Exactly. So then, and, oh, sorry, go ahead, Ryan. Oh, no, I was just going to say that that kind of, if you take a step back, right, the reason we're all here is that initial abstraction of just a, uh, you know, Linux container, right? And and the, the advent of, you know, when Docker came around, uh, that's an abstraction in and of itself. And we, we, we all said as organizations, wow, you know, I could really innovate fast. I could run things wherever. And then it was taken to the next level, right, of, okay, well, how do we orchestrate many of these things? Um, and in, in doing so, we're making our lives sort of as organizations better in, in the sense that we're introducing these new tools to, you know, allow us to sort of run more uh, complex things or manage things and uh, in a simplified fashion without, you know, worrying about dependencies here and there. And you get this wonderful view of the world that's like, well, yeah, like you just said, I can run on Minikube and also in GKE. But at the same time, we've also added a lot of complexity for ourselves, um, you know, for better or for worse. And and these are the problems we're trying to solve right now, right? Is okay, we've added all this complexity, but now we have to think of that, that exact question you said, well, you know, does this solution, even though it's enabling me to get to production faster in, in a sense, is it protected? Can I withstand this or that, right? So it's a, it's a, you know, abstractions are key. I always say that, but at the same time, we're, we, we have added a lot of complexity. Yep. Yeah, I was just going to add on to that as if we, again, a lot of similarities from a from a vSphere point of view, just given my background. But if we go back to like ESXi 3.5 and the complexity that that had in <laughs> setting that up, and I'm sure all of us on the call will probably build out as consultants to go and go and build out customers' ESXi farms and things like that. And now we, if we look at ESXi now and how that's deployed from a virtualization point of view, it's anyone can anyone can really it's so simplified and i think that's where we're at the very bottom of the mountain or at mm -hmm. least at base camp for kubernetes and deployment and i think and, and a lot of the other areas around kubernetes the cloud native like basically the cncf landscape is we're at the we're at base camp and we're slowly starting to get ready to go up and climatize and and make our life easier so we're at three we're at esxi 3.5 it feels and we're and we're moving towards the 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 top of the top of the mountain to put a, a climbing analogy. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Like I I started my vSphere journey with like five dot five update too, so like not three dot five exactly, but maybe I I got a head start. But maybe for I'm this sure journey, I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> Hey. So uh, talking about like VMware admins and like the backup, right? Uh, when we were dealing with VMs, big enterprises obviously had backup administrators who were responsible for uh, like working with the solution, configuring those backup jobs, so, like configuring the repository and making sure everything looks good. When we're talking about Kubernetes and containers, how has that changed? Like is, is the responsibility still with backup admins or as with the application, even the responsibility is more distributed now? So from the people that I speak to, I guess the answer is it's mixed because mm -hmm. it's, it, and it's mixed still today from a virtualization point of view. You either speak to backup admins, mm -hmm. you speak to virtualization admins, you might speak to platform engineers, SREs, et cetera. They all, and everyone in between are potentially responsible for the backups. Not everyone has the capability of having a backup team or a backup specialist. So I think we speak to everyone, but I think what Kubernetes has brought into the, the fold is developers now have more of a interest to some degree of what their data looks like or what the data is doing at the back end. And I'm going to then 
piece that into like the DevOps space and the SRE because obviously that's joining the two together or bringing them closer together. But ultimately, a developer who is 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 working with state or working with databases or working with data services, they seem to ha- want to have more of an understanding of what that platform looks like, which. We've always spoke about like DevOps and how it's a shift left approach and it's the operations team wanting to know more about how the developer is, mm-hmm. is evolving and creating the the, uh, the application or the, uh, the the code at that end. But then I also see this, this wave of requirement around developers also wanting to know the other way as well. So whether it's platform ops or DevOps or whatever ops you want to call it, but ultimately it feels like a lot of different people in different companies have a focus on data management and data management's broad as well. Like some of the talks that we had at CNDM day, just to bring it back to that mm-hmm. is it's not just focused on data management as in backup, but how do we then leverage that data to put it to work somewhere else? So maybe take that data from Minikube, a local developer environment, and then start pushing it up to GKE mm-hmm. and let the services around GKE do something with that data, give you some insight into that data, that that Postgres database and the data within it. And that that's you see there that, that a developer would want to know that, but even a data science scientist would want to mm-hmm. know that. And that's why I'm seeing a lot of different there's a lot of um diversity when it comes to who who I'm speaking to on a on a daily basis now. And also this community is full of different diverse people that are interested in data which is obviously really cool Mm -hmm. for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done yeah and to that point i think the fact that we're seeing that mix of uh you know the it depends answer when it comes to our you know is it the application team is it the the data storage team is it the database team is it the backup admins and we're seeing a mix i think it just shows where we are in that space too right we're in that transition period um i know at kubecon you know uh bavin mentioned it was a lot about crossing the chasm they used a lot of those things and i think we are there as well right to your to your point about being at base camp i think we're going to see that mixed crowd until we really figure out um what the future looks like how we're how are all these things going to to be in a mixed bag so um I think this is a good transition point to uh, wind down here. I, I've, I've learned a lot here from, from this conversation, but I think people are going to want to know more. So where do people find uh, you, what you're doing? How can they get involved in Cloud Native Data Management Day? You know, if you want to share blogs or social accounts, please, this would be a great time. So first up for me, I've been trying to document this whole learning journey on from a blog point of view, also a bit of YouTube as well, where I'm now comfortable and confident to to speak about some of the pro some of the projects that were either that interest me or excite me and how they and how I can like show that off. Mm-hmm. So from a blog point of view is vzilla.co.uk. You'll you'll find like if you've never started, I've pretty much documented a like lab lab type guide in how do I get started with with Kubernetes now I know there's hundreds thousands out there obviously take take in well bear in mind that um obviously I come from that vSphere environment I come from 
the storage world, the data management, the protection space. So I have that in mind, but also learning the the fundamentals of Kubernetes. I'm not I'm not a trainer by any stretch, and nor would anyone want me to be. But <laughs> I, I'm walking through in a hands-on type type approach, and and I'm also getting to touch quite a lot of different variants of Kubernetes, whether it be OpenShift, whether it be DKE, AKS, or Minikube on on premises is one of my pet projects at the moment is how do I spin up a, an environment as fast as possible from a from a learning point of view mm-hmm. rather than a local development point of view because I feel like we're we're definitely at, at base camp and we're learning what what's or how to get up the mountain and we're gonna have to go up a few times to come back down and we're gonna have to take some take some friends with us and all that good stuff. So that's the premise behind the blog. YouTube is slash Michael Cade one as well as my Twitter handle where I'm very uh, often <laughs> blurting stuff around <laughs> stuff. Just inter- well, I find it interesting, um, interesting stuff around cloud native data management and all of that good stuff. So at Michael Cade One, that's the same handle on my YouTube as well. Now, from a CNDM point of view, is cndmday.com, and on there you'll find some information about the previous events that we've had, but also upcoming events. I know Bavin has done one of our live webinars, our streams on there, so they can all be found as well on the YouTube channel. But that one site gives you access to everything. There's a Slack channel in there as well, so please come and join. As much as I, there's there's a rant in there for me as well about Slack and it taking away the community, <laughs> kind of hides everything away, and we've got all of these Slack channels and no public place to to ask our questions that can be then searchable but anyway i won't get on that one but there you'll find all of the previous like events that we did for kubecon na and kubecon eu and also we're going to be potentially doing a breakfast event at aws because we figured that from a cloud native point of view it doesn't just need to be kubecon we need to we need to venture out more into the public clouds the managed kubernetes services where else can we where else do we have people that are interested in cloud native storage data and data management for that? So we'll be doing something there. So that'll be on on the website when we when we finalize the plans. But we're thinking about some breakfast event, a couple of hours in the morning prior to a keynote, um, most likely Wednesday. But that's probably as much as I can afford to. Give <laughs> but yeah, it, there'll be no cost, and I'm I'm told that we have swag left over from LA, so. That would that would be enough to get some free coffee, some uh what did I come up with? Coffee a coffee chat and croissants maybe just to keep Oh nice. Everyone <laughs> loves coffee. Swag, right? <laughs> um who who doesn't love swag? In whatever wherever your background you love everyone loves swag. But yeah, so really that's it's a growing community. Ha- happy to have a conversation with anyone around this this world and and there'll be absolutely no judgment in terms of what level of skill you are at all i think everyone's at a different part of that learning journey i think that's what makes it really exciting but we know that there are fortune 2000s that are absolutely rolling out kubernetes in in production so having that awareness of what kubernetes is even if your business or your company are not using it i think that's where we need to be this is the next level of of uh, like learning that we need to get onto it from a from a sysadmin point of view, from a virtualized admin point of view, the awareness is the is the key. 
hundred percent. And I think that's a good point to bring up is that, you know, if, if you're not, if we're not willing to learn as a community together, right. I think we're, we're doing something wrong. And I think, you know, we're all climbing this mountain together, right. Good to go back to this analogy. Um, and we're happy to be climbing this mountain with you, Michael. So um, for those who are listening, we will include as many links um, and uh, that uh, Michael brought up today for, for his socials and YouTubes and uh, cloud native data management days and all of that. Um, so please uh, check those out and be a part of our community. We need your help. We want you to learn. We want to help learn. We are still learning. Um, and with that, uh, Michael, thank you so much for being on the show. It was really a pleasure. Yep. Thank well, you, Michael. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks. Oh yeah. That's me. Nothing extra. Just perfection and a straw coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block because there are drinks then there are drinks from mcdonald's mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for a dollar 49 perfect with our classic fries price and participation may vary cannot be combined with any other offer Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. well uh speaking of learning and climbing mountains i feel like I've made my way up to base camp in that conversation. I don't know about you, Bobbin, but um, lots of great information there discussed with Michael. Uh, you know, what what are some of the takeaways you got from there? Like, I really like the base camp analogy. Like, uh, we are the people who, like, as vendors, we are the ones who are supposed to go up and down the mountain, figure out the best practices, figure out the best routes and trails. We are, we are supposed to be the trailblazers. And then we are supposed to take customers with us. Uh, so like we should be the Sherpas who are guiding people from base camp to the peak of the mountain. So that was a really great analogy that I'm going to steal for sure, Michael. Uh, <laughs> and then <laughs> it, talking more about the content, uh, like just observations around how we talk to customers and virtualization admins and try to uh, onboard everybody or bring, up to, uh, bring them up to speed uh, by compa- uh, creating comparisons with what they are used to. So like if they are using VMware and they're familiar with LUNs and VMDK files, how can we translate Kubernetes persistent volumes and persistent volume claims and make those connections? So it it, it, it feels more real. Uh, like for example, like when you're using VMware Tanzu, uh, any persistent volume that you create directly using the VMware cloud native storage CSI plugin, it automatically creates a VMDK and mounts it to your VM. So uh, we need to like, explain the the how persistent volumes are provisioned and and they're actually configured on the systems and maybe that will help more and more people understand and not be afraid of kubernetes and and start using kubernetes a lot uh, similar for data protection and disaster recovery right like the rpo rto uh, slas that we configure are still the same we just need a newer tool that can understand the distributed nature of the applications that we are running now and can help you protect those and recover those quickly in event of a failure. So uh, it's just about education. And I think to to like close the episode, I think uh, Cloud Native Data Management Day, that's, that's the charter, right? Like we want to uh, spread the knowledge to everybody that's involved, everybody that's participating and uh, like doing events at KubeCon and maybe at AWS reInvent as Michael hinted. Uh, are ways where we can we can uh, help everyone uh, become an expert in Kubernetes. Agreed, and yeah, agreed. Um, if you're at 
AWS reInvent. And sounds like breakfast might be in order if you join Pavan and uh, Michael. Uh, but I couldn't agree more with what you were saying there. And um, ultimately, we're still worried about the same thing as we mm-hmm. want to protect our applications, uh, no matter where they run and how mm-hmm. they run. Uh, the tools and the abstractions might change underneath to make us more efficient or whatever. But uh, yeah, at the end of the day, we're looking at the same thing. Yep. Okay. So that brings us to the end here. If you are an avid listener, I would really appreciate you uh, giving us a review or just sending us a message on Anchor. Uh, That works too. Uh, to encourage us or uh, suggest any changes or suggest an episode. We would love that too. So please go ahead and do that. Uh, The next episode, we will be digging into Kubernetes storage on AWS. So really, what are the options in AWS? And we'll have someone on the podcast that really knows this stuff well, and that'll be fun. So until next time, everyone, take care. Thank you for listening to the Kubernetes Bytes podcast. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. <laughs>